Welcome to Chill with a Chapter Book from the Wells Public Library. My name is Allison, and this season we are reading Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh. Chapter 8 When Harriet started her spy route the next day, she decided to visit the Robinsons first because the day before she had seen an immense crate delivered to their house and she couldn't wait to see what was in it. The Robinsons were always moody right before they bought something and this time they had been moody for a week so she figured this must have been a whopper of a purchase. She sneaked up to the window. There was the crate. It sat squarely in the middle of the living room How did they get it in, she thought, and then she saw that it would go through the door with just about an inch to spare all around. Mrs. Robinson was running around it in ecstasy. Mr. Robinson was hopping up and down on one foot. A railway express man was starting to unpack the crate. A crowning achievement, said Mr. Robinson. A joy, such a joy said Mrs. Robinson, completing a circle. Wait till, just think what they'll... They were so excited, they didn't bother to make sentences. The railway express man ignored them. He worked steadily and noisily until the front section was ready to be pulled away. Harriet held her breath. The front panel came away, exposing nothing but sawdust. Well, thought Harriet... That does it. But then the sawdust was being pulled frantically away by Mr. and Mrs. Robinson, who had leaped forward in their eagerness, pushing aside the railway express man. There! There! screamed Mrs. Robinson. And there, indeed, was the strangest thing Harriet had ever seen. It was an enormous, but enormous, perhaps six feet high, wooden sculpture of a fat, petulant, rather unattractive baby. The baby wore a baby cap, huge white dress, and baby booties. The head was completely round and carved out of butcher's block so that it resembled a beautifully grained newel post with a face carved in it. The baby sat on its diapered bottom, feet straight out ahead, and fat arms curving into fatter hands, which held, surprisingly, a tiny mother. Harriet stared. Mrs. Robinson exclaimed with her hand to her heart, She is a genius! This was too much even for the railway express man, who could contain himself no longer and said, Who? rather rudely. Why, the sculptor! She is marvelous! She is brilliant! She is a white star in the firmament! Yeah? A day made that? He gaped. If you've finished... Mr. Robinson looked pompous. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just have to carry out the junk. Where do you want her? It... Darling, I think the corner behind the entrance so that it isn't seen immediately. You know, and then it will dominate the room from the couch. It'll do that all right, said the railway express man, picking up Excelsior in handfuls and stuffing it into the crate. Just be kind enough to remove this without comment, said Mr. Robinson huffily. 
The baby was rolled into a corner and the crate removed by the grinning workman. Harriet left Mr. and Mrs. Robinson holding hands and gazing at it in speechless joy. She went to the street and wrote in her book, Oh, golly is right. There's as many ways to live as people, she says. But wait till she hears about this thousand-pound baby. Oh, I forgot. She paused and looked into space. When somebody goes away, there's things you want to tell them. When somebody dies, maybe that's the worst thing. You want to tell them things that happen after. Old Golly isn't dead. She slammed the book shut, feeling something akin to rage. Then she got up and headed over to the DeSanti family. Nothing much was happening in the front of the store, so she crept around to the back to watch little Joe Curry. He was in full command of an array of food that would have fed the Marines for a week. He munched happily. Harriet was wondering if the kids had been there yet, when suddenly the phone rang inside the store. Little Joe looked guilty and started to hide things, just in case, when there was a blood-curdling scream from the front of the store. Little Joe was so startled, a piece of bread fell right out of his mouth. Harriet dashed around to the front. Mrs. DeSanti was being held by Bruno in a half-fate through which she managed to scream as loud as a dying opera singer, Echo! Echo! He's killed! All is lost! Dio! Dio! No, Mama, just an accident, Bruno began, looking helplessly to Papa DeSanti, who was hanging up the phone. Dead! Killed! truck smashed to bits. Ecola, Dio, Dio, mio figlio. And she swooned. Bruno looked as though he might drop the considerable weight, so Papa DeSanti rushed to help him. As he did so, he said, Mama, Mama, the truck is not smashed. Fabio is not smashed. Nothing is smashed but his head when he gets here. A fender, that's all it was, a fender. Signora DeSanti revived immediately and started to run up and down the store, waving her arms wildly and screaming in Italian. The customers stood around like frozen food. She ran up and down, up and down, finally gathering so much momentum that she crashed on into the storeroom, there discovering little Joe with a whole cucumber in his mouth. Echo, not bad enough, stealing us blind and gathering up all the food in one arm and little Joe by the ear, she came catapulting back into the store. The family stared open-mouthed. The customers came alive and started to edge toward the door, feeling that this was perhaps too much. Mama, Mama, Tikama! Papa DeSanti, seeing the evidence of little Joe's treachery, began to scream himself a long string of frightening-sounding words. But Papa! Bruno screamed to be heard. Where is Fabio? Is he hurt? Is he in the hospital? Him? Him? He is fine. Evidemente. What could happen to him? It's the truck. The truck is smashed. Papa DeSanti managed to get this out, then went back to screaming at little Joe. Fired. You're fired. We're not running a restaurant. 
Suddenly, the front door tinkled, then slammed, and there was utter silence as they all turned to see Fabio standing there. He had a minuscule patch of plaster on his forehead. My son! screamed Mama DeSanti and rushed toward him. You're hurt! He's hurt, Papa! Look, he's hurt! And she flung herself at him with such force that Fabio was hurled back against the door. It's nothing, nothing, Mama, he said, smiling. She straightened up, looked at him hard for one minute, then slapped him across the head. Your father worked with his bare hands for that truck. Work hard, not like you. Work hard. Understand? The family watched this in awe, as did Harriet. Fabio turned red, and tears sprang to his eyes. Mama, he began. Don't mama me. You no son of mine. No son of mine. She raised her finger aloft to the ceiling. From this day forward. Mama, Papa DeSanti interrupted. Don't. Don't yet. Let's see. Let's see what the boy has to say. Harriet felt wildly curious. Fabio shot a grateful glance at his father. He looked terribly embarrassed. He fidgeted in his pockets until he found an old bent cigarette, which he put in his mouth. It hung there broken. Maybe, thought Harriet, he can't talk without that? The whole family was looking at him. He bent his head apologetically, then began in a low voice. I didn't want to tell you till later. I... Papa... He looked up at his father in a very sad way. I just can't. I can't help it. I just don't want to be in the grocery business. It's not your fault. It's just... To be stuck in a store all day, I don't... It's not for me. So I... He took a deep breath. I took another job. You what? Papa and Mama DeSanti said in one breath. I, t- I took another job. Only the only thing is you need a car for this job. I'm a salesman. He looked frightened, Harriet thought. Well, well, well. Papa DeSanti looked totally amazed. Then an enormous broad grin spread over his face. Son? You're... You're working? Mama DeSanti looked as though she might faint again. Yes, Mama. And looking at his father, he laughed. I'm working. Santa Maria. Mama DeSanti fainted. Bruno caught her. Papa DeSanti uttered all sorts of exclamations and slapped Fabio rather hard, Harriet thought, on the back. The others gathered round, with the exception of little Joe, who took this opportunity to filch a piece of gorgonzola. Harriet tiptoed to the street and there sat down to write in her book. My, my, better than a movie. It's such a happy ending. I don't believe it for one minute. I bet that Fabio was up to no good as usual. Wait, he didn't say what he was a salesman for. I wonder what he's selling. I must come back tomorrow to see what happens to little Joe Curry. Harriet went over to Harrison Withers. She looked through the skylight. Harrison Withers sat at his work table, but he wasn't working. He was looking out the window. 
His face was the saddest face Harriet had ever seen. She stared at him a long time, but he didn't move a muscle. She went across to the other skylight. There she saw such a strange sight that she almost keeled over. What she saw was an empty room, not a cat in sight. She ran back to Harriet Withers to see if she had perhaps missed seeing the cats. No, nor were they in the kitchen. She sat back on her heels. They got him, she thought. They finally got him. She leaned over once more to look at his face. She looked a long time. Then she sat down and wrote in her book. I will never forget that face as long as I live. Does everybody look that way when they have lost something? I don't mean like losing a flashlight. I mean, do people look like that when they have lost? Chapter 9 Harriet felt so grumpy she knocked off work for the day. That night after supper, she tried to practice being an onion. She started by falling down several times, making a great bumping noise each time. The idea was to fall in a rolling way, the way an onion would, and then roll around in a complete circle several times, then roll slowly to a stop the way an onion would if you put it down on a table. Harriet rolled around and bumped into a chair, knocking it over. Her mother came to the door. She looked down at Harriet lying there with the chair on top of her. What are you doing? She asked mildly. Being an onion. Her mother picked the chair up off Harriet's chest. Harriet didn't move. She was tired. What in the world is all that noise I hear in here? I told you I'm being an onion. It's a pretty noisy onion. I can't help it. I can't do it right yet. Miss Barry says when I do it right, I won't make a sound. Oh, it's for the Christmas pageant. Is that it? Well, you don't think I'd just be an onion all on my own, do you? None of your lip there, girl. Get up and let me see what you have to do. Harriet got up and fell over, then rolled and rolled around until suddenly she rolled right under the bed. She came out full of dust mice. Mrs. Welsh looked horrified. That terrible maid! I'm going to fire her tomorrow! She looked at Harriet, who stood ready to fall again. That's the clumsiest dance I ever saw. Miss Barry assigned this? Miss Barry assigned the onion part. I'm making up the dance, Harriet said pointedly. Oh, said Mrs. Welsh discreetly. Harriet fell over again, this time rolling away almost into the bathroom. Mr. Welsh came into the room. What's going on in here? It sounds like someone hitting a punching bag. She's being an onion. They stood watching Harriet fall over and over again. Mr. Welsh put his pipe in his mouth and crossed his arms. According to Stanislavski, you have to feel like an onion. Do you feel like an onion? Not in the least, said Harriet. Oh, come on, what are they teaching you in school these days? Mrs. Welsh started to laugh.
No, I'm serious. There's a whole school downtown that's probably rolling all over the floor right this minute. I never wanted to be an onion, Harriet said from the floor. And it's a good thing. How many parts do you think are written for onions these days? Mr. Welsh laughed. I don't imagine you did want to be an onion. For that matter, who knows if an onion does either? Mrs. Welsh laughed up at him. You're so smart. Let's see how you fall like an onion. Don't mind if I do, said Mr. Welsh. And putting down his pipe, he fell solidly to the floor. The floor shook. Honey, did you hurt yourself? Mr. Welsh just lay there flat. No, he said quietly, but it's not as easy as it looks. He lay there breathing. Harriet took another fall just to keep him company. Why don't you get up, honey? Mrs. Welsh stood over him with a worried look on her face. I'm trying to feel like an onion. The closest I can get is a scallion. Harriet tried to feel like an onion. She found herself screwing her eyes up tight, wrapping her arms around her body, then buckling her knees and rolling to the ground. My God, Harriet, are you sick? Mrs. Welsh rushed over to her. Harriet rolled round and round the room. It wasn't bad at all, this being an onion. She bumped into her father, who started to laugh. She couldn't keep her face screwed up and laughed at him. Her father started being an onion in earnest, rolling and rolling. Harriet suddenly jumped up and started to write in her notebook. I wonder what it would be like to be a table or a chair or a bathtub or another person. I wonder what old Golly would say to that. Old Golly looked like a bird with teeth, but I think I really look a little like an onion. I wish she would come back. Harriet was so absorbed in her writing that she had forgotten her parents were in the room. When she finally slammed her book and looked up, they were staring at her in the strangest way. What were you doing, dear? asked Mrs. Welsh in an ever so casual way. Writing in my notebook. Harriet began to feel nervous. They were looking at her in such a strange way. Oh, can we see? No, Harriet almost screamed, then said more quietly, Of course not. It's secrets. Oh, said her father and looked rather hurt. What is the matter with them, Harriet thought. They both just kept looking at her. Is it something for school, dear? asked Mrs. Welsh. No, said Harriet and felt even more nervous. Why didn't they stop looking at her? I'm sort of tired, honey. I think I'll go to bed, Mrs. Welsh said to her husband. Yeah, me too, he said, taking up his pipe. Why are they acting like that, thought Harriet. You'd think I was doing something very funny. Oh, golly, never acted like that. Her parents kissed her goodnight in a rather melancholy way and went out. She reached for her notebook and was starting to write when she heard her father say, Soto Voco, on the steps. Yes, it makes me feel I don't even know my own child. And Mr. Welsh answered, We must try to know her better now that Miss Golly is gone. Harriet felt puzzled. Why don't they say what they feel? Oh, Golly said, Always say exactly what you feel. 
people are hurt more by misunderstanding than anything else. Am I hurt? I don't feel hurt. I just feel funny all over. And by the time she went to sleep, she felt even funnier. The next day, she felt very grumpy again on the way to school. Sport and Janie came running up to her as she was going in and told her that they planned to practice their dances that afternoon and did she want to practice with them at Janie's house. She said yes in such a grumpy way, they stared at her. Then, when she breathed in a very labored way and said, Don't mind me, they really stared. She went on into school, calling back over her shoulder, I'll be there after my spy route. They just looked at her. That afternoon, she decided to try Mrs. Plummer again, even though she knew it was terribly risky. She waited for the maid to leave the kitchen, then darted into the dumbwaiter, her heart pounding so hard she was sure it could be heard. She pulled the ropes gingerly. They worked smoothly at first, but just as she reached the parlor floor, there was a terribly loud creak. She sat there, horrified, not daring to breathe. Then she heard voices. Impossible! Impossible! Mrs. Plummer's voice came out of a pile of pillows in a whisper filled with horror. Nadine! Mrs. Plummer screamed to the maid. Nadine! Chilling scream fading at the end. Yes, ma'am. Harriet could see the maid standing primly to one side of the bed. Mrs. Plummer raised up, looking like a bloated eagle. Nadine, it can't be! It can't be! and flopped back down, disappearing into pink pillows. Doctor's orders, ma'am. From the pillows, confined to bed, and the tiny voice was lost for a minute. For the rest of my life, and a wail arose. Well, thought Harriet, feeling agitated and strangely in sympathy with Mrs. Plummer, she did want to be there. She moved a little to write in her book. Is old golly right? Is it terrible to get what you want? I want to be a writer and I'll be finked if I'll be unhappy when I am. Some people just don't think things out. At that moment, there was a querulous shout from Mrs. Plummer. What? What was that? Harriet looked through her peephole and saw both faces staring right at her. Her mouth opened in speechless terror. They had seen her. She felt everything stop as in a photograph. There's nothing, ma'am. But of course they couldn't have seen her. They couldn't see through walls. There's something in there. I heard it scratching like a mouse, a rat. Oh, I don't think so. Nadine marched firmly to the dumbwaiter and pulled up the door. She jumped and yelled wildly when she saw Harriet. Harriet started pulling on the ropes, but Nadine recovered herself and stopped the dumbwaiter as it started to move. Come out of there, you, she said harshly and pulled Harriet out. Harriet flew through the air on Nadine's arm and landed in a pile at her feet. What is that? Mrs. Plummer shrieked. A child, ma'am said Nadine, holding Harriet by the hood of her sweatshirt. Out! 
Out! Get it out of here! That's all I need, all I need today. A child? And she fell back into the pillows. Nadine hoisted Harriet into the air and swung her out the door and down the steps. Even though her feet were dangling helplessly and her mind was racing with fear, Harriet took a few mental notes of the interiors as they descended. There, said Nadine, pushing her out the door. Good riddance. Don't get caught again in there. Harriet looked back. Nadine winked at her. Feeling ridiculous, she started to run. She didn't stop running until she was at her front door. She sat down on the stoop and panted a long time. That's the first time in three years of spying that I've been caught, she thought. After she got her breath back, she opened up her notebook. Spies should not get caught. That is the one essential thing about spies. I am a rotten spy. Of course, how was I to know she was going to do that? But that's no excuse. I knew, I just knew it was too dangerous to go there. She sat looking dejectedly at the park. As she stared at the black trees, one tear rolled down her cheek. She wrote, Old Golly would have had something to say about this, and also about that onion business last night. She slammed her book, suddenly terribly grumpy. She decided to go over to Janie's house to practice, even though she had no desire now to roll around on the floor. When she got there, she saw that Pinky Whitehead and Carrie Andrews were there too. She went over to Janie and whispered in her ear, What is he doing here? Pinky Whitehead is all I need today. I can't help it, Janie said apologetically. Carrie Andrews is the middle, and Sport and Pinky are the two legs on the turkey. They all have to be together to practice. Well, and Harriet suddenly felt terribly evil. I don't like it. Janie looked at her in the strangest way. What do you mean you don't like it? I just don't like it, that's all, Harriet said mysteriously and moved away. She saw Janie looking at her in a terribly irritated way a few minutes later, but that might have been because Harriet had almost rolled into the lab table. Janie was trying to be a squash by lying in a sort of pulpy way flat on the floor. Every now and then, she jumped a little as though the squash were being boiled. That's terrible, said Harriet meanly. What was that you said? asked Janie from her flattened position. You look like you're burping. Sport and Pinky, who were doing handstands on either side of a humped up Carrie Andrews, collapsed in laughter. I don't know what you're laughing about, Sport. You look ridiculous. Harriet was in an oh-so-vile mood all of a sudden. Sport looked at her wide-eyed, then said, What do you think you look like? rolling around like that. I look like an onion! Harriet screamed and immediately thereafter felt totally frantic, as though she would burst into loud baby sobs any minute. She got up and ran for the door. As she was going down the steps, she heard Sport say, What's the matter with her? And Janie replied, Boy, what a pill she was today. 
Harriet ran all the way home and all the way up to her room, where she flung herself on the bed and cried with all her might. That night, she had a terrible nightmare. Old Golly was rolling around on the floor and cawing like a crow. She kept coming at Harriet, and Harriet would run. Old Golly's eyes were red-rimmed and a shining blue. Her face had black feathers suddenly and a big yellow beak with teeth. Harriet screamed in her dream. She must have been screaming in her sleep because her mother came and held her until she went back to sleep. In the morning before school, she wrote in her notebook, Something terrible is going to happen. I know it. Every time I have a bad dream, I feel like leaving town. Then I feel something terrible is going to happen. And this is the worst dream I've ever had in my whole life.